Hello all and welcome to Accidental Careers, the podcast where we talk to people about their jobs. Was the path there windy? Were they jobs they even knew existed? Let's find out. On today's episode, we're going to talk to Matthew Tyler, who in Lancashire has created a business together with his wife, providing corporate gifts and more. Listen up. Matt, thank you very much for joining us today on the Accidental Careers podcast. How are you? I am very well, thank you, Lindsay. Thank you very much for having me. It's great to be here. No problem. Whereabouts in the world are you today? So, Preston. Uh, well, okay. just south, actually. I live in uh, Leyland, so, uh, yeah, just, uh, just south of Preston. Oh, I know the area very well. In my day job, I, uh, I look after, well, p- one of the things I look after is Lancashire Life magazine, so you might be familiar. Oh, wow. Yeah. Of course. Absolutely. Fabulous. Great part of the world. Great part of the world. Mm. Okay, well, today, um, obviously, what we're going to do on this podcast is talk about people and their accidental careers. So we'll come on to talk about what you're currently doing, which is really exciting and lovely. But I want to take you back to the beginning of the journey and and how how you got through that, uh, how you got from there to where you are today. So so back when Matt was a little boy, you had you had aspirations to be Mm. a doctor. Is that right? That is true. That is true. Yeah, I was a big fan of casualty back in the day uh, when I was very little, I must say. Casualty. Listen, it's got a firm place in all of our hearts, hasn't it? It's been how long has that been going now? It's uh, well, it, it's one it's of the longest. Certainly, standard. from when I was young, so it was certainly the the eighties would have been the decade it started, but I, I couldn't tell you the exact year. Exact year, exactly. So when when you came out of school, and and kind of the thing that inspired this podcast for me is 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 when my own children kind of got to. A levels, etc. Uh, you know the, that part of their lives. What did you do when you finished kind of high school as we know it now? What did you go on to do at college? Sure. So um, at, at leaving at sort of sixteen, I did stay on for a year to start my A levels, um, and you know probably like many people at that age, didn't have a clear career path in mind. So transitioning from that that little dream to be a doctor when I was very young. Um, mm. You know, I went off that when I realised that I didn't like the sight of blood much. So my uh, my second choice, if you like, is um, I wanted to be a physio and, and more specifically, okay. um, you know, doing it from the sidelines because you see them on the telly. You know, um, I was into my football and I thought, well, do you know, what? I'm not too good at playing it. So what's the next best thing? Um, mm. So, yeah, that, that was, I guess, my first real aspiration. And, um, you know, staying on in sixth form, you know, I quickly started to realise actually I'm probably not quite as academic as I thought I was. Okay. Um, although, you know, I got good GCSE results and, and obviously staying off my A-levels, you're just kind of told, well, that's what you should be doing. You know, you need to, you know, get your head down, get your A-levels, get off to university. Um, and, you know, the options, I guess, at, at that time in my life, we, we're going back to the sort of mid-90s here, mid-late 90s. So, mm. um, you know, there certainly wasn't, as many options on the table as as young people have today certainly so um i quickly realized that yeah i probably wasn't um applying myself well enough to to do well uh, down that path uh, for various reasons at that point in my life i suppose mm-hmm. um so yeah having done a year of a levels i then decided to sort of go off to college and and do it that way um rather than the sixth form that i was at um and the the options that i took there were gearing towards um this aspiration to become you know a physio running the line for a yeah. football team i, su- I suppose yeah um 
and that that went reasonably well <laughs> um, until I saw another route that I thought could kind of fast track me because back in those days, and I think it might be similar now, to become a fully fully fledged physiotherapist, you you essentially need to get sponsored by the NHS and, and go that route. Okay. And when I looked into it, it was a case of okay, you will be involved in all aspects of physiotherapy, so helping people who might have. Uh, you know, severe physical impairments or might have had a recent accident and anything mm. from a physical injury to people with brain injuries or stroke, heart attacks, okay. anything like that. And again, at that moment in my life, I thought, hmm, is that, is that really where I see myself? So the, the kind of fast track route that I thought was, was the, the best thing for me at the time was um, doing like a sports therapy course. Um, so that entailed things like sports massage and, and managing soft right. tissue injuries, that type of thing. So that was my first real career step, I suppose. Did, did you get good guidance from those, for, you know, um, around you at that time? Teachers, tutors, <laughs> mentors? Did no. you get? No. <laughs> Short answer, Lindsay. <laughs> okay, that was quick. Uh, yeah, um, you know, I, I'm from the era that we perhaps filled out a bit of a questionnaire and they fed it into a supercomputer in the too. day and it you know it would it would give you a printout and say oh you you'd like to be a chef or, or something like that and i just felt that that those kind of results and the career guidance that was available yeah. or, or lack of um yeah. yeah just really didn't help me explore any any viable or suitable options that that really resonated with me enough to think this is me i was just yeah. kind of wandering around a little bit i suppose and, and I had exactly that same experience. And we've had a, another guest on the podcast uh, in recent weeks who said exactly the same thing. They remembered something um, spitting out of the supercomputer. I think every woman was going to be a secretary and every man was going to be something else. I don't know. It was it was a bit random. So, so you found what? you found an opportunity yourself at that point, did you? Or yeah. How did you find that? Yeah, yeah I did. Yeah. So um, I. I, I I'm trying to remember exactly how this panned out. We're going back to probably about 1998, 1999 at this point here. Mm. Um, so last century, you know, always sounds a bit <laughs> like you're ancient when you start saying that, doesn't it? I know, um, I know. So, yeah, I did apply for some kind of, of student funding, but I can't remember exactly what that looked like. Okay. Um, so, yeah, it was it was an opportunity that I, that I explored off my own back, I suppose, um, and then went and did this course and paid for it and, and qualified through that. But it, it also... Um, involved a lot of fitness instruction so specifically training to become a personal trainer and that that was the first real career path that that I took to be honest so yeah I definitely took that opportunity that was in front of me oh that's good so always in the kind of fitness industry then so you've had you've had a that that piqued your interest do you keep fit and healthy yourself I'm assuming I'd like to think so. Um, yeah. I'm I'm just coming off um my second London marathon in April just gone and um, so I'm a bit of a keen runner. Um, and hoping wow. to do a third, actually, hoping to do next year. But I've, really? um, yeah, I've got a call. I've got a call with a charity tomorrow to see whether it's the right fit for both sides, really. So we'll see. It might be my third one in a row. Who knows? I can only take my hat off and take a bow to you because back, my husband will laugh when he hears this, but back in 2002, I ran the London Marathon and swore I would wow. never run again afterwards. It was the worst experience <laughs> of my whole entire life, simply because. I started, uh, I had 12 weeks to train. So I went from couch potato to marathon runner in 12 weeks. And it was part of a a huge promotion for a client I was working with at the time. And it sounded like a good idea. And I don't think that people 
really understand just how grueling running a marathon is. So no. more than one, you know, you're a better man than I would ever be. <laughs> well, it, that that was something that I didn't plan. Um, okay. you know, my, my first one was was for charity. I ran it for Mind um, back oh, in uh, okay. October 2022 before it was before it was moved back yeah. to the traditional date of April. So that was my first full marathon. I'd never run one before, and, and wow. I agree with how grueling it is, especially the training. You know, they so say tough. that yeah. the, the day is your victory lap, if you like. You know, you've put all the hard work in before mm. that, and, and as tough as the day itself can be, I, I just tried to sort of enjoy it and I very much did so much so that I entered wow. the ballot on the start line and, and did it again in April so I collapsed on go. the on the finish line so uh, yeah I just crawled back to the car <laughs> it was just exhausting completely and utterly yeah well, well listen done. crossing crossing the finishing line makes you amongst the one percent in the country that do it so there you are you're part of the one percent club part of the one percent club that'll do me it, it, and my husband says to me are you telling that story again <laughs> I say <laughs> yes and I will continue to tell it whilst I can still breathe yeah. What's the what's the point in in not telling it? You know, if you've I achieved know. that, then the world needs to hear it, don't they? Amazing. Oh, absolutely. It's amazing. Well, listen, I wish you all the best if you're going to take on a third one. It's, <laughs> Thank you. Uh, it, it, it's crazy. So you worked in that uh, field of pit, uh, fit, uh, PT, fitness trainer for how long, yeah. Matt? Yeah. So um, let me get my years right here. So <laughs> uh, for the best part of 16, 17 years, I worked in that field. Um, okay. So kind of worked through the ranks if you like um so at sort of 18 it went beyond the years started out as a as a personal training a gym thinking that 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 was ultimately yeah you know not not a bad path yeah, to look place. at and did it did okay you know and it, and it was yeah. it was back in the time when I guess a lot of the focus was on the physical side and you know not as much on the on the general you know um well-being and mental health side that, that's really prominent now which is great um so yeah always like to keep myself in shape I guess and, and always had an interest in that but then kind of accidentally um slipped into the the management side of things really um okay. so yeah I, I, I guess I guess being a personal trainer is a little bit like setting up your own business you know you're trying to obviously get your own clients, clients and, and kind yeah. of build a business from there and, and I was reasonably successful at that so I think it was just a matter of time in a couple of um you know people in senior positions left the, the gym that I was working at and the general manager of the gym at the time approached me and said look do you mind just you seem to get on with everybody you seem to know what's going on here and, and kind of handed me the the keys if you like handed me the reins for a little bit at about 21 wow. I think I was so yeah managing people twice my age was a bit of an experience back then I must say <laughs> Don't you think managing people is a whole different skill set? It's really, you know, you, you can be really phenomenally, you know, do so well at your job, be really, really good at it. But then taking that next step, it was a baptism of fire for me when I started doing that. Yeah, I, I, that that would uh, resonate with my feeling to it as well. I think, mm. yeah, it was a huge learning curve. And, and when I look back now, there was no way I was ready, you know, at that point. No. It, I think it was as much the lack of life experience than anything else. You know, if I if yeah. I had even half the skill set that, that I feel I have now, you know, just with people, never mind in business, um, then I think it would have held me in much better stead. But you know what? Sometimes that's the best way to learn, uh, you know. Throw in, sa- yeah. Say it, yes it is. and worry about it later, you know. <laughs> absolutely. And I think, you know, our youngsters of today, and I keep coming back to this all the time because it feels really important to me, is um, 
you know, the, they have so much more guidance. They have so much more opportunity. They have so many more jobs that we didn't even know existed. You know, when I, when I talk to my kids now, I think, D what, what are you talking about? You know, some of the things. We kind of, um, our roots into jobs back in the day, uh, making us sound about 100, aren't I? But, but you know, back then, <laughs> um, we... We kind of, you know, you got jobs through opportunity and conversation and, and talking to people. And, and now it's just such a process. I feel um, I feel sorry for them. And the, the chances of them getting that big opportunity at that age is probably slim to none because everything's got to come with three years experience, five years experience, etc. Um, and I've talked to lots of people whilst doing this uh, who have said, find something, find a passion, find something you really, really enjoy and, and you'll make it work somehow. Was that the case for you? I would say so. So um, career-wise, you know, I've, I've took a bit of a winding path, shall we say. So, you know, going back to my health club days, um, you know, I, I had some middle management positions um, and, you know, learned a lot from those and, and sort of put me in good stead, if you like. And then uh, trying to think of years here. So 2005, I had a little bit of a break from all of that. Um, I took an opportunity to go and work as a holiday rep so I did a couple of seasons, wow. um, you know, it was a chance to live and work abroad, which, you know, amazing experience and, and fantastic yeah. to hone my people skills again. And, and just, yeah, listen, not going to lie, I had an amazing time, um, partly <laughs> a bit too hard and, and loved every second of it, um, but had to come back to earth. Uh, and then, so the end of 2006, I got back into the, the, the health club scene because I came back to the UK um, and then... I went to work for Virgin, um, for Virgin oh, Active. Virgin? It was at the time. Oh, Active, okay. Back yeah, in for gyms. Virgin Active. Yeah. So yeah, when when they had a lot of health clubs, you know, they've they've kind of um, t you know toned it down a little bit now. But um, yeah, back in two thousand and six, they had a lot of health clubs in, in the country and and were growing yeah. at that time. So um, yeah, I worked in the sort of sales side of things there and a bit of marketing. Um, so although it was still within the health club scene, it was more on the, as I say, on the sales side and that that kind of, I guess I fell into that because it wasn't something that I ever saw myself doing. But, okay. you know, with the transferable skills, you know, as a personal trainer, as uh, obviously as a holiday rep, you kind of just get used to dealing with people and people. you don't see it as selling. Yeah. You're, just, you're just speaking to people and letting them know about products and services and if they like it, they buy it, you know. And so when I got home, I obviously needed a job back in the UK and there was some opportunities yeah. locally to me. So, yeah, I kind of got into that and and really sort of found my rhythm. Then I was I was very successful at it. I, I enjoyed it immensely. I was back, you know, in a very vibrant environment that I loved. And um, I loved working in health clubs. It was, when I look back now, it was definitely, you know, in terms of how I felt the happiest time of my career without a shadow of a doubt. Yeah. You know, the, pe the people that you work with, the members, you know, um, it was it was fantastic just to sort of bounce off that energy, I suppose. And and, and it's, they're places yeah. that are full of positivity and they're full of wonderful stories of members coming through the door and you, you sort of see their journey. So, um, yeah, fantastic part of, of my career, that I must say. And common goals as well, isn't it? You know, everyone walks into the gym for the same reason, don't they? Some are at different levels or points in that, you know, uh, journey, but some all have got a common goal, haven't they? They want to feel better, look better, you know, move better. Without a doubt. And I think that, you know, when you speak to people and you just hear their personal story of why they're doing it, it isn't yeah. It isn't for a lot of people just about looking good. You know, people, 
now especially go to the gym not only to work on their physical state but to work on the mental state and and we all know that exercise really helps with that so um yeah just just speaking to people in that environment of why they've started exercising or why they've got back into it and how it helps them and listening to their journeys was as was you know as good for me as anything as anything that's fantastic well you talk about it with uh, with a big smile on your face and it's, it was obviously a really good part uh, you know a good part of your uh, career and a part that you really enjoyed what brought it to an end so um how it kind of ended is um i was moving around the country a lot so mm-hmm. uh, you know i moved down to london and i was uh, running the south side for a few gyms down there uh, in like west london and things and um, London's a fantastic place to live and work. Don't get me wrong for a, for a young single man. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I was I was getting to the point where I was, you know, the big 3-0 was looming and I was thinking, is this really what I want to be doing in my life, etc. cetera? Um, I was single, you know, I, I, and I knew that I, I wanted other things. So this is where I probably had a bit of a, an early midlife crisis, uh, you know, if we have to put it like that. Um, <laughs> so, so what brought me up to the Northwest and, and what, sort of made the sort of turn in my career, if you like, um, is I took another amazing opportunity. And this time it was going to work and to do a contract on cruise ships. So still in the gyms, it was working on board, uh, running the the gym on board, the Celebrity Constellation, um, if anyone's ever been on it. So that was back in 20, well, back end of 2012, start of 2013. Okay. and how, because you'll tell from these wonderful brummy tones that I'm not, um, you know, a born Lancastrian. I've, I've married in. I'm an, I'm an adopted Lancastrian. So We'll take um, you. It's fine. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> well, <laughs> my, um, my wife was a photographer on board. Well, okay. my, my now wife, my, uh, then uh, Emily, um, was a photographer on board. And, uh, yeah, so I was working in the gym. We met, we, we very much resonated towards each other and uh, it blossomed, shall we say. Aww. So, yeah, somewhere out on the ocean between Miami and Bahamas was the first moment we met, I suppose. And, um, yeah, we were then left with the choice of do we, do we carry on, you know, traveling the wonderful Caribbean and docking in places like Miami or do we come back to Preston? <laughs> <laughs> Let me think what you one. might have chosen. <laughs> <laughs> The latter one, love one, love one in yeah. the end. So there yeah. you are. <laughs> oh, that's lovely. So you came back. So is, is Emily from Preston? She is originally, yeah. She grew yeah. up around Cotton. Uh, but back in oh, that no. time, um, uh, well, my mother-in-law and uh, Emily's uh, parents live in Blackburn, still do. So we, we moved to uh, Blackburn when we very first came back to the UK. Oh. So that was 2013, June 2013. We both got back to the UK. Uh, okay. So it was almost like pressing the reset button and, okay, Let's see what happens here, you know. Um, we're not long met, but for anyone that's been in an intense environment like crew working on board a ship, you know, six months together can feel like six years. So six you, years, yeah. The, the, the relationship can grow very, very quickly, and it did. Um, so, yeah, we, we kind of pressed the reset button and started again, if you like. Um, so I actually uh, got a job working in education. So I worked for a company called North Lanks Training Group. Um, oh, yeah. so uh, an apprenticeship provider um, so transferable skills I suppose is, is the way of putting it because um, yeah although it's something completely different you're still dealing with people you're still uh, you know talking about products and services so that's that's how I fell into that one if you like um, you, 
you talk a lot about falling into, but you've obviously <laughs> got those transferable skills that you keep mentioning. And I just wish that more employers uh, would open their minds to that because I think, you know, there's um, we're, we're going to have our next generation, aren't we, full of uh, degrees or A-levels or whatever it is they choose to do with one set goal in mind. And I encourage them to keep their eyes wide open to uh, explore all the opportunities. But employers need to be able to do that as well. So where, whereas you've been lucky being able to, you know, find employers that have allowed those transferable skills to be an asset to them and some don't. But, I, you know, I really hope that, you know, in f- future uh, companies do do that because, you know, when I'm employing and I recruit on a fairly regular basis, it seems, you know, I try to keep my mind open because, you know, if you're doing people skills is a fantastic thing. You know, if you've done sales, you can do lots of other things. If you've done gyms, you can do cruises if, you, if you've done etc so i think you're kind of living proof of that so you work for the apprentice uh, for look northwest um north north lanks north, north lanks, lanks uh, um, training group yeah nltg when you came back to earth if you like with emily yeah. and emily was a photographer on board so what did emily do at the time Sure. So when, when we first got back, she worked for um, a local digital agency, um, okay. EKM. Um, so they were, back, I mean, yeah, it's strange how, how things map out sometimes. But uh, back, back then their office was was based in Leyland. It isn't anymore. Um, and we weren't we weren't living in Leyland at the time. Um, so Emily Emily worked for, for their office there. And she, she, she knew she wanted to get into a digital role um, because as well as photography, she'd done graphic design. Um, okay. You know, she, she'd done that at college and stuff. So um, she knew she wanted to learn more sort of the web development side of things. So that's – she got a very junior position. She was quite lucky, actually, but had the opportunity to learn on the job. It wasn't an apprenticeship or anything like that, but she did have the opportunity to learn on the job from a junior position. And on a lunch break, she'd sit sort of outside and, you know, Google things and sort of self-teach um, code and things like that. And she wow. she learned very, very quickly and built a skill set up very quickly in that. So she then became highly skilled in that and to the point where they then set up, I think, another agency and asked Emily to go across with them. Uh, so she'd obviously Fabulous. impressed them. Um, yeah. And then that's how she sort of built her career in digital, which um, she's still doing to this day a little bit, actually. Okay, so she keeps her foot in that camp as well. Absolutely, yeah, she does. Yeah, she okay. works with a few clients and um, supporting them with things like SEO. And mm. she she tries not to do too much dev work now. She doesn't really enjoy building websites and things, but she does have that skill set, and it comes in useful yeah. for for some other things we do. So it's not so bad. <laughs> did did she build uh, your now website? She did. Did and fantastic. So I, I want to kind of get into the crux of uh, what you guys are doing now. I want I want sure. the listeners to to talk about that. To take us back to the kind of inception conception of that. You know, when did you and Emily think that there was uh, there was an idea? Was it the the, the pandemic? It was it was slightly pre pandemic. Um, to be honest with you, Lindsay. So the, the business was originally founded around August twenty eighteen, which okay. um, coincidentally was was the. The month we also got married, the month and year we also got married. Um, oh. So it was a very busy year, 2018, for us. Yeah. Um, 
So yeah, it, yeah, the business was founded on paper uh, around that time, but then we knew we were going off to get married, having honeymoons. So it was kind of like, right, let's just get it registered on Company House and let's let's go and enjoy ourselves, and, and we very much did. Um, so the initial inception, it all comes from um, from Emily, to be quite honest with you, and okay. I'll explain how how I kind of slot into all this. Yeah. So originally, um, Emily's nana Pauline um, had dementia. Um, for a number of years and she sadly passed in 2014 okay. um, and Emily wanted to do something you know as a legacy really to, to a Nana Pauline um, so how a good day all started Emily used to volunteer for the Alzheimer's Society um, at a local art and craft group over in Chorley and um, mm-hmm. I believe the funding got cut at the time and, and she still wanted to sort of do something so Pauline's box was an initial idea where she wanted to, you know, put some reminiscence things together and, you know, just just have something that she could use to help people interact and at various stages of dementia and bring the loved ones in, involve them and, you know, just sort of create something nice really in in what can be quite difficult circumstances. So, yeah, the original idea of Pauline's box from a marketing point of view, uh, as lovely as Pauline was and, and as lovely as that memory is you know Pauline's box from a marketing perspective it needed something else you know <laughs> um, so could be so, could be a number of things I get it there, yeah there, there you go there you go so um, <laughs> I must give a lot of credit to Emily because she she is very creative you know she she does have a very sort of um out the box type of thinking and um she just woke up one morning and, and she's always coming up with different ideas and different names for things and, and all the rest of it and she just woke up one morning she looked at me and she said uh, i've got it a good day and i was half asleep and like excuse me <laughs> um <laughs> what? and that that's how that's literally how it was born she was like well you know we're we're going to try and see people who you know might be having quite a bad day whether that's the loved one whether it's the individual with dementia and we're trying to sort of brighten the day apart. We're trying to give them a good day. So that's what we'll call it, a good day. So that's how the name was born. Okay. And um, Emily was very determined. She went out, she set up a crowdfunding campaign, uh, which was very successful. You know, she went as a guest with her mom um, onto BBC Radio Lancashire. And um, she got these boxes designed and got a local designer to, you know, do some stuff on it as well. And it was this bright yellow gift box. And yeah. with the money from the crowdfunding campaign, we went round to some local care homes and literally donated these boxes. Um, and it was around Christmas time. Uh, so they had things in, you know, that were quite festive. Um, but they also had some reminiscence things in like Christmas number one through the decades, that type of thing. And they were very, very well received. Um, so, yeah, that that was how it was born, should we say. Okay. I'm I'm currently living through this uh, with my own mum, so I, okay. I know how incredibly difficult this is. Um, the, the the dementia journey, and you know, uh, the, the I guess I guess the sad thing is there's a lack of understanding. When I take mum out now, she's she's not the same person as uh, as she was, and she sure. gets confused, and she's you know she's doing different things or whatever. But but you just mentioned there about the the number ones. Don't you think music really just kind of it's a game changer. You know, she, she can't remember what she did 20 minutes ago or she can't remember where I took her yesterday, but you put a Tina Turner song on from 15 years ago and she can sing all the words. There's just something in that, isn't there? Oh, without question, Lindsay. Yeah. Um, and I'm sorry to hear that. Um, Thank but you. yeah, it very much resonates. And I'll explain why, why in a second for me personally, because mm. this isn't just about Emily's Nana, but, but, you know, it's very much 
her legacy. Um, yeah, going back to your question, so on music, yeah, it's it's incredibly powerful. I think there's no two ways about that. You know, yeah. music's very emotive. It can really sort of generate really powerful emotions within us. And, um, yeah, from a reminiscence standpoint, I think there's no question about that, that we all can look back and a certain song will remind us of a, of a certain situation. And, and that's what it's all about. You know, th- those memories are very, very precious. And yeah. you know, we always want to try and bring back the happy memories whenever we can. We absolutely do. So we're in the boxes. So uh, so the listeners kind of understand exactly what you guys do at a good day. These boxes are created, exactly what goes in them and, and where do you take them now? So you took the initial... Um, kind of boxes to to care homes etc but it's yeah. developed a little since then am I right in thinking Matt? Yeah I think that's fair to say Lindsay so how it kind of evolved from the uh, initial just gift box if you like is some of those care homeowners and, and caregivers came back to us and, and as I say those boxes the original boxes were very well received they said you know can we have some more uh, and obviously we would love to have obliged but you know you can't crowdfund everything so um yeah, we basically had a discussion with a few different care home groups and and where that conversation led is, well, these are fantastic. We're quite happy to buy a few for our residents, for Christmas, for birthdays, etc. Um, but then the idea came about, well, actually, it'd be wonderful to also do something for our staff. So that's when the kind of employee appreciation thing came about. So in answer to your question, Lindsay, what's in the boxes? To be quite honest, that's dictated by our clients. So Okay. Our main clients at the moment still are within the care sector. So we do things like when they welcome a new resident into the care home, they they get a welcome box that has, you know, a, a few different things in. So to give you some examples, things like um, hand cream and a nice flannel uh, chocolate, because who doesn't love chocolate? Absolutely. Um, that sort of thing. But as I say, the contents, we would have a discussion with the client, you know, what's it for, what you're trying to achieve, what's your desired yeah. outcomes here, um, is there a particular theme you want to lean it towards? So, so that discussion is very much involving the client from day dot. Um, and if they're a bit short of ideas, well, that's that's very much where Emily can come in and and sort of add some ideas in. So, they can come to us with just a very basic initial concept, or they can okay. come to us with "I want this" and really give us a full picture, and then we will sort of develop something from there. So, companies now can come in, and, and it's a, a little bit more, I would think personal than you know your perk box or your online you know offerings that some employers do this is a bespoke box and I've seen some really fabulous um ideas behind these you know when employers um take on some people and on their first day they get a branded pen and all the rest of it and it's just kind of it does add something doesn't it to um to that first day at work or or kind of anniversary of being however long at uh, an employer do you do it for all kind of different stages yeah, so, um, yeah, I, I would say, first of all, Lindsay, that, you know, the personalisation and the bespoke element is, is absolutely what yeah. um, what makes us that little bit different because, you know, that's important in this day and age, you know, in, in this world that's full of lots of noise right now from many different areas, yeah. you know, to have something that is a bit more personalised and, and has a bit more thought behind it, um, again, is is very powerful. So, um, yeah, that that is exactly what we do. So. To give you some examples, you know, we've got the the welcome boxes for when someone comes into a residential care setting. We've got the employee appreciation, be that seasonal, festive, birthdays, what have you. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, onboarding is something that we've done for a couple of clients as well. So yeah. the, the, the other connotation that we try and have, 
I guess that makes us more unique than than anybody I've come across, Lindsay, is that we always try and encourage um, the employer or the client to have some kind of social responsibility connotation within the, their their order. So Great. what we did, what we always do, is for every order that we receive from a client, a good day will give back in some way. So we will donate X to a local community cause or, or good cause. And, and that's directly from a good day for each order. But what we always try and encourage a client to do is, okay, what's local to you? What's going on? What causes are you passionate about? And mm-hmm. is there something that we can link together on this to, to make something happen? Um, so to give you some examples, um, you know, earlier this year, we, we went to some local charities to a client around the Wigan area and we okay. donated uh, Good Day boxes to um, a local charity that deals with uh, sort of daycare for individuals living with physical de- disabilities and learning disabilities, that type of thing. So we're, we're very keen to always work with the client and think about, you know, how can we give back in some way? Because that's very much what a good day is about as well. What you're all about. And is this, Emily and you now, is this your full-time day job? Is this something that you've both had to give up other jobs to do? Yeah. So, you know, a good day started as a passion project. There's no question about that. And I guess from a business point of view, you know, there's been various opportunities presented to us, but we're very, very mindful um, that any profit made from a good day, we we always try and give back in some way. So what's going on at the moment? Answering your question, first of all, Lindsay, yes, this is very much what we work on. I still have a a couple of other bits that that I have to do as a sideline. And so does Emily, just to keep the roof over our heads, because we're still quite early on the journey here. You know, yeah. it would be it would be lovely for us both to be able to, you know, just work on a good day full time. But financially, that that's not quite there yet. Okay. And hopefully it will be very soon. Mm-hmm. And I'll come on to how that might happen. But um, what we've done with all the profits thus far from a good day is actually invested them straight into some um, product development. So okay. a good day will always have its roots within the sort of gift box and a bit of the corporate uh, angle. But where we've been. I guess fortunate, but I'm a believer that you make your own luck here. We know where we want to get to with a good day long term. And that's all about helping people. It's all about giving back. It's all about community. Um, And and I'll talk, you know, in a second, Lindsay, about some personal things of why a good day really resonates with me and why what you you said you're going through with your mom at your moment resonates with me. But um, what we've done with the profits, sorry to be digressing. (laughs) What we've done with the profits from the good day is... What we've done with the profits from a good day is invest it in product development. So we've been uh, on board with Lancaster University on a project um, that's recently finished where we're about to launch a brand new product as a dementia aid in, into that space. So we've developed, uh, I can't say wow. too much right now, Lindsay, because we're, we're about to get the first samples, but watch this space is all I can say to you. We've, we've worked wow. with Lancaster University, we've worked with some local care home groups, We've worked with Age Concern Central Lancashire, um, mm. who we're patrons for, um, to go in and test this product. So it's not just our idea. We've, you know, we, we've worked to sort Testers. of test it. And, mm. and what it's achieving is uh, facilitating those social interactions, the mental stimulation. But most importantly, Lindsay, is creating those lucid moments. So those moments of joy, putting smiles on faces, you know. So it's incorporating the individuals living with dementia you know, of ways of, of working with their loved ones, so be it their families, their caregivers, whether that's oh. paid or unpaid, and facilitating those wonderful moments that we know can happen. 
Wow, I'm looking forward to hearing more about that. When when will when will you be able to um, break the seal and tell us all about it? Sure, very very soon. So our first product samples, final product samples, uh, are due with us hopefully in the next week or two. Uh, we spoke to the manufacturers only the end of last week um Mm -hmm. and yeah we're hoping within the next two weeks we'll have those so then we're going to go out and go back to a couple of day centers that we were with a couple of care home residential care home groups who are just kind of get their final feedback and then yeah yeah all being well we'll we'll press the button the other huge angle that that a good day does it's not prominent at the moment but it will certainly move into is the whole mental health space so so my dad um was diagnosed with bipolar back in the early nineties. So back in back in a time when mental health wasn't even a word. Um, yeah. So uh, when I was a teenager, the, the roles reversed. Basically, I became my dad's carer when when I was a teenager, and um, you know some some very very sort of dark times really. And um, you know he made many attempts on his life. He was institutionalised mm. a lot. He was sectioned mm. under the mental health act many many times. Um, and the, the guy's been failed left, right, and centre. You know, yeah. and only last weekend um he now lives in assisted living and um, my sister was his carer for many years because she became a nurse and you know it's just i've got a young family and it's just kind of you have to kind of take the step back sometimes yeah uh, and now i live 100 odd miles away so there's only so much i can do anyway um so yeah only last weekend he was found in the middle of a main dual carriageway 60 mile an hour main carriageway with no oh. central reservation so he could very easily got hit in his boxer yeah. shorts just wandering the streets police picked oh, him no. up kind of tried to fob him off well listen we've done our bit not our problem and it turns out he had his medication changed no one got informed da, da, da. anyway so where a good day is really going to sort of try and help is not just when someone's in crisis because you know, when someone's in crisis, the, the, the help even now isn't really there. You know, uh, yeah. we're trying to help at initial diagnosis phase. So it could be dementia. It could be a mental health condition. It could be a physical health condition. Mm. So we're going to develop lots of products, tools and resources to support those individuals at diagnosis phase. Well, I want to say here and now uh, on record that if there's absolutely anything I can do to help you promote that, just reach out and I will help you do so. It sounds fabulous. Amazing, Lindsay. Thank you for that. Much fabulous. appreciated. Much appreciated. It, no, absolutely no problem. If uh, at the moment there's any uh, businesses out there that this resonates with as they're listening or any individuals and they want to get in touch and talk about their own um, gift box, how do they find you, Matt? Sure. So our website, uh, just www.agoodday.co.uk. So just all one word, agoodday.co.uk. Uh, on there, you you can message myself and Emily directly. That will come straight through to us. Um, okay. I'm happy for people to have my personal email. Uh, it's just matt at agoodday.co.uk. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, you put Matt Tyler, a good day, and that, that will come straight up, no question. Uh, please do you know follow me, connect with me. I'm, I'm happy to receive connections for anyone that wants a discussion. Um, of any way that they feel they can help any way they want to get involved with with this movement really absolutely fantastic well listen we'll we'll put all that again in the show notes and we'll obviously tag you on the relevant channels when this episode goes out i can only thank you again for your time matt absolute pleasure thank you oh thank you so much matthew for your time today really interesting chat thank you so much i cannot wait to hear about the developments in the dementia space it's really really close to my heart thanks again 
If you want to listen to more of our Accidental Careers podcasts, find us on your usual platforms, Spotify, etc. And leave us a review so we know what you're thinking. Until the next time, thank you, everybody. <laughs>